Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. Fully vaccinated Canadians will soon be able to drive to the U.S. Staff shortages have reached a critical point in Canada's healthcare system. There's been a drastic decline in mammograms in Hamilton. An Afghan interpreter whose family is in Canada remains stuck overseas. Arkell's frontman Max Kerman joins us to discuss the Hamilton band's new album Blink Once. And the NHL season is underway, and there are many fascinating storylines to analyze. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. You are going to have people coming down who've been waiting to pick up their packages at all these mailbox places, check on their cabins, whether it's in you know northern Washington State or Montana or North Dakota. That is U.S. immigration lawyer Len Saunders speaking to Global News, saying he doesn't expect a rush of Canadian tourists heading south. Why would they be? Oh, we see the headline on 900CHML.com and globalnews.ca, and it has a lot of people excited. U.S. to reopen Canada-Mexico land border to vaccinated travelers in early November. Finally, Reggie Giacchini is Global News Washington correspondent and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning, Rick. Finally, I mean, this has been a long time coming for many Canadians. It has been a long time coming, not only for many Canadians, but also for millions uh, of Americans who live uh, on border towns, uh, for uh, lawmakers in the United States who have been kind of pressuring the Biden administration to do something uh, when it comes to reopening the border, citing vaccine efficacy and the sheer numbers of people who have been vaccinated across Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., which is more than 260 million. And as we found out last night, Uh, which was supposed to be embargoed until early this morning, but was actually leaked by one of the U.S. lawmakers, uh, that this is going to happen at some point in November. Don't have an exact date yet, but it is coming. So what has changed to cause the U.S. to reopen its land border? So, look, there's a number of things that uh, were being looked at by not only the White House, but a series of interagency organizations uh, in the United States and kind of around the world that were working together. Number one was vaccinations. The United States was really slow after a good start uh, to get their people vaccinated. Those numbers have started to increase uh, significantly over the last month. There has been a significant uptick in the number of people vaccinated in Mexico and Canada and really around the world. That was one part of it. The second part of it has to do with just last month, uh, an announcement was made that foreign travelers coming into the United States via air from anywhere else in the world would be allowed in if they were vaccinated. That kind of pushed the hand to get the land borders open because, look, while people have wanted to come into the uh, United States, there are a series of controversial immigration policies at the Mexico border that were implemented under the Trump administration that were really tying the hands of the Biden administration. They've now been able to work around some of those, which is why Canadians are going to be allowed in. Our guest is Reggie Giacchini, Global News Washington correspondent. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. So um, people who cross the border uh, via a land border crossing have to be fully vaccinated. We have found out that the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, if you have a double dose of that, uh, the FDA, even though that it hasn't approved AstraZeneca, uh, we're hearing that those Canadians will be allowed in. When it comes to mixed doses, what's the status of that? Yeah, so for AstraZeneca, they will be allowed in, and that's because not only has Canada approved it, but also it is a World Health Organization-approved vaccine. So the CDC is likely to say, look, AstraZeneca is accepted around the world. 
we will accept it here, even though we don't give it to our own people. As for mixed dosing, this really has been a question that has been posed to the Centers for Disease Control for weeks, if not months now. Uh, and millions of Canadians fall under this category. So, too, uh, do millions of people living throughout the United Kingdom uh, in that America doesn't do this. They're still looking at data and they're looking at studies on mixed doses. So the CDC hasn't come out officially to say, look, if you have two different doses, you'll be allowed into the United States. What we heard from the White House last night is that the CDC is likely going to approve people coming in with mixed doses, but the information will be made available in the next coming week. That is why we're not seeing an immediate reopening of the border and why we will see uh, the kind of 30-day extension to that closure uh, come into place on October 21st. They're essentially buying themselves some time here to dig through the science and ensure that when this goes off, it goes off smoothly. Um, For Canadians who are considering traveling down south, how is America doing in the battle against the virus these days? So, look, the numbers are starting to go down. This is kind of what we've seen during each of the three and four waves that we've gone through down here, where the numbers go up, they start to come down, but then the deaths remain high. The United States is still struggling with something like 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 deaths per day. But the number of cases are 30 and 40 percent lower from where they were not only last week, but also several weeks ago when we were at the peak of this wave. Uh, And that's because there is still an uptick in the number of Americans being vaccinated. Problem is, there are still roughly 70 million Americans eligible for a vaccine that haven't received one yet. And there have been some kind of concerns uh, voiced from not only the CDC, but also from Dr. Fauci, that if that continues into the uh, late fall and into the winter, the United States could run into some problems with uh, the flu, uh, seasonal flu virus combining with uh, COVID, potentially creating some kind of uh, you know, issue down the road. That's why there's this dramatic push to try and get more and more people vaccinated. But the numbers are coming down. That was one of the big criteria to be looked at for letting people back into this country on a non-essential basis. Good to know. Reggie, uh, thank you for making uh, some time out of your busy schedule today and joining us this morning. Thank you. Reggie Takini, Global News Washington correspondent, should mention that more than 82% of eligible Canadians, 12 and over, are fully vaccinated. 66% of eligible Americans have two doses. And in Mexico, 37% of residents are fully vaxxed, although 75% have at least one dose. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Many people are going to be going to work in uh, hospital settings, long-term care homes today, and uh, they're worried. They're worried about the virus. They're stressed out. In many, 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 many cases, they're overworked and underpaid, and many have had enough. And many uh, are uh, against the vaccine and are going to be living with the reality of being placed on paid leave. Some have already been on paid leave. Others have already been terminated because of their uh, stance against the vaccine. And that is the consequence and the price that they are paying right now. But this situation has really created a crunch in terms of our health care staffing. There is a severe shortage right now, and it may only get worse. And as we look on the horizon, it probably will get worse. Here to join us to talk about this is Dr. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Good morning, Dr. Grinspun. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good to be with you again. Uh, This is a very worrisome um, state that we're in because staffing shortages in the healthcare industry isn't anything new, but they're being now magnified by COVID-19. What's the latest? Yeah, they're super magnified by COVID-19. 
Uh, we went into the pandemic short-staffed the lowest, especially on the rent side, the lowest rent per population in Canada is here in Ontario. Um, the good news is that people are getting vaccinated, Rick. Uh, not many are not vaccinated, as you know. Uh, over a little bit, even over 90% have one shot, and uh, you know, well over 80% have uh, two shots. So the, the the ones that are not vaccinated amongst the public is uh, the minority, and amongst healthcare workers also. The problem is that any healthcare worker that is not vaccinated can more easily, right, easily bring the virus to uh, the workplace. And we cannot afford that. Patients cannot afford that. The first priority is to protect patients. And also, as you may have seen uh, in various uh, media news, healthcare workers don't want to work with healthcare workers that are not vaccinated either. So we are in a crunch in terms of the timelines to get vaccinated, I would say, um, both to protect ourselves as healthcare workers, our families, our communities, and our patients. It's, it's one more layer that can help protect, doesn't prevent completely, but helps. Is there going to be a line in the sand or some kind of deadline or some kind of timeline down the road in which this staffing shortage is going to reach a critical point? Are we close to that? Well, it depends on all of us, Rick. It depends. Well, first of all, let me say it did before the pandemic already. Mm -hmm. We have been talking with government after government for the last decade about the lowest RM per population. And you saw during the thick of the third wave that, uh, you know, we needed to ask help, same as others are asking help now. So we did reach that point in long-term care. We reached that point in the first and second wave. Uh, but that's because the shape in which we went to, to this. Um, will we be in trouble post-pandemic? Yes, we will, because uh, many healthcare workers, and as you said it, uh, about everybody had it with this pandemic, you know. People are exhausted and people are rethinking life. And this is a very, um, very honorable, very amazing, very wonderful, but also very onerous profession. It requires a lot of physical, emotional uh, thinking, uh, energy, right? And, and it's an intense profession. So not, you know, unless we do really serious efforts for retention, Rick. We will have issues, and we need to bring certainly significant number of more healthcare professionals uh, in various ways, in various ways. Dr. Doris Grinspun is our guest. She's the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You mentioned uh, not only retention, but now we're going to have to replenish the, uh, the pot, so to speak. How do we get future nurses and doctors into the field when there's been protests outside hospitals, uh, these individuals are overworked and in many cases underpaid, they're stressed out, they're leaving. Um, it's, it, it can't be easy to attract the next generation of healthcare professionals. So um, believe it or not, many, many, many people want to become RNs. The, the, the search in the people that, have applic that are applicants is significant and outstanding people. So we are increasing this, 
the slots for RNs, the, the entry the the entry to baccalaureate preparation, we are increasing the number, the percentage of people that we are accepting. What can the public do immediately, Rick, to help with this situation? Uh, you said it. Number one, no rallies outside hospitals. That's inappropriate, especially when they were, uh, you know, saying profanities to healthcare workers. So number one, that needs to be gone, and we are asking the premier for urgent safe zones so every single healthcare facility and school for that matter is protected. Uh, number two, the public should go and get vaccinated because then you are decreasing the influx of people coming into the hospitals. While the vaccine may not completely prevent you from getting the virus, it does really slow down significantly the number of people that go to hospitals uh, and certainly to ICU. So get vaccinated both for yourself, for to protect yourself and to protect the health system and the resources. And thirdly, tell the Premier that we need to get rid of Bill 124. That bill is an affront on healthcare professionals, on every public healthcare worker, quite frankly. Repeal that bill because it's damaging uh, the possibility of retaining people in the profession and in any other profession, quite frankly. It's a bill that was done before the pandemic. As you know, cost of living has gone up over 3%, 3.4 3.4 to 3.7%. The bill only allows 1%, meaning healthcare professionals are going down by 2.5%. We're decreasing their compensation at the time that they gave it all, right? They were there for us 24 by 7. So repeal Bill 124 and uh, do other uh, activities for retention, especially related to decreasing workloads. And again, for that is let's take care of ourselves so we don't, you know, enter institutions like hospitals, etc., and require services. Um, and bring more people to support the work of nurses and others so we can reduce the workloads. That's the solution. Build careers in Ontario. So if we bring more PSWs, more RPNs, more RNs, then PSWs, if you do bridging programs, right? Bridging programs in evenings, at nights, in the weekends, because people cannot just stop working, especially when they are, as you said, uh, low, uh, with low remuneration bridging programs that they can move from RPN to R from PSW to RPN, from RPN to RN, and build careers in Ontario so they stay here. Dr. Grinspan, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for the chat today. Thank you so much for having me, and have a fantastic day. You as well. And keep healthy. Thank you very much. You as well. Dr. Doris Grinspan, Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, CEO. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, some interesting and disturbing information coming to us from Hamilton Health Sciences surrounding mammograms and a significant decline in mammograms. Here to talk about it is Riley Crota, manager of the regional cancer programs in Hamilton, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Riley. Good morning, Rick. Uh, I'm really happy to have the chance to talk with you and your, and your listeners this morning to celebrate Breast Cancer Awareness Month. 
um, and share an important reminder um, to get screened for breast cancer with a mammogram. Um, If you're due, and especially if it's something that you've been putting off for the last couple of months, um, and, and if you're overdue. Very happy you on the show. Happy to have you on the show to talk about this. Why has there been a significant decline in mammograms in the city? Well, I think like all many many areas of our life, the pandemic um, you know has affected our access to preventative um, and sort of routine healthcare tests. Um, you know that we would typically book into uh, you know our, our weekly uh, schedule. Um, so the all cancer screening services in the region and really uh, across the province of Ontario overall uh, were deferred for a period of three months with the first wave of the pandemic uh, in response to the direction from the provincial government to ramp down all non-essential healthcare services uh, to make sure that we had capacity um, in the healthcare system um, if needed. Uh, But cancer services across our region and across the provinces uh, did uh, open up uh, in July of 2020 um, with enhanced, you know, cleaning and infection control measures in place. Uh, But but what we've seen is a hesitancy on behalf of the public um, to access healthcare services for, you know, sort of those non-essential reasons, just as a way of of sort of reducing their contact with people um, and with places. I think it's also fair to say that, uh, you know, many of us have had some changes in demands on our time um, over the last 18 months. Lots of people, you know, had added childcare responsibilities with, with kids staying home from school. Um, and many of us, you know, particularly our, our frontline workers, you know, have been working really long hours and maybe haven't had the time um, or the opportunity uh, in our schedules for lots of different reasons to book that appointment to get screened. So how many people should be doing so? What are some of the numbers that uh, you've seen? Um, so our numbers um, in the in our region, so the region uh, includes Hamilton, Niagara, Haldeman, Brant, and Burlington, suggests that there's probably somewhere in the neighbourhood of 40,000 uh, people that were due for a mammogram in the last 18 months um, that haven't made the appointment to get that done. Um, and when we're talking about people that are due uh, for a mammogram, uh, that's uh, people uh, between 50 and 74 years of, years of age that don't have any personal history um, of breast cancer, they're feeling fine, they don't have any symptoms. Um, it's a simple test that you should have done for most people. It, it's every two years, and it only takes about 15 minutes to do. Now, uh, I, I've heard that mammograms aren't the most pleasant uh, thing, but uh, this is an important procedure to have. It is absolutely um, an important uh, thing to do. Um, you know, it is a little bit of a squish. There's, you know, lots of YouTubes and funny memes about that on the Internet. Um, but it, it really is very mild discomfort. Um, and like I said, your entire appointment really lasts less than 15 minutes. Uh, if it's something you're feeling anxious about, it's a great way to have a conversation with the technologist that will doing, be doing the test for you. Um, you know, she can sort of walk you through what to expect and make sure that it's a comfortable experience um, for you. Breast cancer is one of the most common cancers um, out there. Uh, it's estimated that one in eight uh, women in Canada will develop breast cancer during their lifetime, uh, but it's also one of the most treatable cancers, especially if it's found early. And the best way to find cancer early um, is, is through a cancer screening test with 
um, a mammogram. So you, you mentioned the age group. Who, who should get a mammogram? Is it just based on age? Uh, if you have a history of cancer in your family, should you be booking an appointment right away? Uh, who, who should be getting one? Um, so through the Ontario Breast Screening Program, uh, there's two groups uh, of people that are eligible for mammograms. So most people will fall into what we call the average risk range. Uh, so that's people 50 to 74. Um, uh, you may have, um, you know, people in your your family um, that have had breast cancer, but not necessarily a strong family history. So, so this is just, like I said, most women will fall um, into this category. And for those women, it's breast screening with a mammogram every two years. And one of the really unique things about the Ontario Breast Screening Program is that women can actually call and book their own appointment directly with one of the OBSP sites in the region. We do encourage you to talk to your family physician about what tests um, are, are appropriate for you and what makes sense for you, um, but you don't need a referral. You can actually pick up the phone and call and make that appointment yourself. There are another group of people that uh, might be at elevated risk for breast cancer, either due to a really strong family um, history of breast cancer in their family um, or due to you know, things like maybe radiation exposure um, to the chest when they were younger uh, if they had you know, another type of cancer that they were being treated for. Uh, for these individuals, it's screening with a mammogram um, and an MRI um, annually, uh, beginning at age 30 uh, and up until 69. And, and for those women that are at a higher risk, um, uh, an initial referral from their physician um, to a counselor to get assessed uh, to see if they're eligible is, is needed. Great stuff. Riley, really appreciate the time today. And uh, hopefully this discussion will encourage uh, uh, many uh, people out there to get uh, their mammogram test booked. And uh, we'll see that number of 40,000 decline uh, drastically in the uh, weeks and months to come. Thanks for the time today. Great. Thanks, Rick. Riley Cronup, Manager of Regional Cancer Programs here in Hamilton, chatting to us about the uh, significant decline in mammograms in Hamilton. And Hamilton Health Sciences wanting you, not only during uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but over the next several weeks, to book your appointment. If you're due or overdue, get in there and get some peace of mind. And uh, if uh, you know, early detection is the key. And we've heard that over and over and over again. So don't wait. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. If you've been following the situation in Afghanistan over the last little while, you know that it has been a harrowing time for many. We know that the uh, war on terror, that 20-year war in Afghanistan, came to an end in uh, late August, the end of August, as the Allied troops pulled out of Afghanistan as the Taliban quickly took over and uh, is now in power. And there was much debate, and it continues to this day, about getting uh, Afghan interpreters, those who helped not only the Allied forces, but in particular Canadian armed forces in Afghanistan, get those people and their families out of Afghanistan. Because, as we know from from past history, Taliban rule is not a, a good thing for people out there, especially women and children. So an Afghan interpreter who worked for the Canadian military is asking for answers to a lot of his questions. And first and foremost, when am I going to get into Canada? Because after being evacuated from Kabul and from Afghanistan, he's been stuck in the Ukraine since the end of August. Now, he's safe from possible retribution from the Taliban, but life is still incredibly difficult 
We get more from Global's Europe Bureau Chief, Crystal Gamansing. Javid Ahmad Hakmal walks quickly through the halls of a hotel in Kyiv. With him, I visit three rooms where I'm introduced to his relatives. A few say hello, others give a little nod. In the last room, three young girls excitedly say hi before a small toddler pulls focus. Mohammed blows kisses. Eleven family members all relying on Hakmal. The 33-year-old, however, says he is hopeless and heartbroken. He thought they'd have a short stopover in Kyiv, but it's been a month and a half. They were rescued from Kabul with another family who worked for the Globe and Mail. That family left for Canada weeks ago. The newspaper continues to pay the hotel bill. They're living off of sporadic small donations wired to him by friends. He calls himself a beggar, a title that clearly hurts the man who once was on the front lines with Canadian soldiers as an interpreter. Hakmal says his family's papers have all been submitted for their asylum claim. But every time he calls Immigration, Refugee and Citizenship Canada, all he's told is that his case is being processed. No timeline given for how long his family will be left waiting in Ukraine. Inquiries by Global News have gone unanswered. His former Canadian platoon commander set up a GoFundMe page to help him feed his family, buy diapers and medicine. They text almost daily, one of his few lifelines. The Veterans Transition Network is monitoring roughly 2,000 asylum applications like Hakmal's. He fears Canada has forgotten about him. Crystal Gavanson, Global News, Kiev. Pretty wild story. A lot of red tape, a lot of uh, stress and anxiety, I'm sure. Um, just one of the many Afghan interpreters and uh, individuals who helps Canadian and allied forces in Afghanistan who is trying to get into Canada. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Good morning and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. My name is Rick Zamperin. Pleased to be joined by Arkell's frontman, Max Kerman. Max, good morning. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you have uh, your sixth album now, Blink Once. Uh, you put this album together during the pandemic. What was that like? Mm, it was interesting. It was different than most of our records. You know, most of our records, we usually, you know, kind of hold up for a month or so and work on the songs. And then, you know, we have we have a, a path to, to put it out. This one, we, we deliberately kind of broke up the session because we were doing a lot of touring. We started in the uh, summer of 2019, the years of the making. We started recording it then. Did some sessions in September of 2019. We got about 80% of the record done by February 2020 with the expectation that we'd be kind of wrapping it up and putting it out later in 2020. But of course, the pandemic hit shortly after and we needed... Uh, we, we wanted to put it on hold for a second because we, we had these kind of big sing-alongs that uh, needed an audience. You know, it, it's a reciprocal relationship, you know, being being an act. You, you, you write the songs to be able to interact with people. And we saw, you know, some of our, you know, peers bands put out albums last summer and they kind of just evaporated because when you can't tour, you know, it, it's hard to really, you know, make that extra connection so we put it aside we worked on campfire chords our acoustic record and we were able to do that from home 
in the safety of our own personal studios. We were sending the, the session around and uh, we went, uh, we, that kept us busy. Um, and uh, at the top of this year with, with the vaccine coming our way, we, we figured it was, it was the right time to start rolling out the record. And uh, yeah, and finally Blink once is out. And uh, yeah, we're, we're super happy with it. And we're just grateful that we had a chance to, you know, put some tour dates on the board so we can go out and play these songs live. Max Kerman is our guest. He's the lead vocalist of Hamilton Rockers' Arkell, seven-time Juno Award winners. Let's chat about this hotly anticipated tour. Uh, you're launching it uh, very soon. Uh, the, the, the chills have to be going up and down your spine because I know you guys love to perform. Yeah, I mean, you know, we used to average about, you know, 120 shows a year. And in the last couple of years, we've averaged about two. <laughs> uh <laughs> So we're excited, um, you know, we were, you know, we've been watching a lot of game tape. Uh, I was watching some Bruno Mars and the Hooligans the other night on YouTube, getting inspired and starting to go to see other shows, seeing, seeing what kind of tricks we can steal from other performers and, and put our own spin on and, and, and create our own memories. And I think, you know, with, with our band, so much of it is, uh, is relying on like the audience equally caring and we've been really lucky over the years to have a, a crowd of music lovers that want to come to the show and, and treat each other well and, and sing and dance and you know just to sort of feel connected to one another and uh that, that's definitely that's definitely the, the goal on this upcoming tour our guest this morning, Max Kerman, Arkell's frontman, 2021 Juno Award winners for Group of the Year, launching into their uh, latest tour after releasing Blink Once, their sixth album. You have 14 tracks on this album. Do you have a favorite? Well, good question. Um, I mean, they're all our babies. And the fun part about writing music is that you get so excited about an idea and you chase it down, you try to make sense of it. Um, and... So at, at one point, each one of these songs were, were our favorite songs. I'd say the one we're living in the most right now is our, our new single, Arm in Arm. We just filmed a video for it at Billy Bishop Airport in Toronto. And it's a song kind of about going home it's a, and being around your friends and family, you know, especially after you lose somebody and, and, and the comfort that music brings. So I'd say Arm in Arm feels like it's, uh, you know, one that is uh, can be really fun to play live and hopefully people connect with. You have a couple of interludes on this album, which I don't think you guys have had on previous albums. Why now? Why go the interlude route? Um, it's a question. I think the right interlude can help feel um, like it connects the songs to one another and maybe give some of the songs a little bit more meaning um, because you're able to sort of provide like an extra musical landscape that accompanies the song and kind of connects the songs. But also, I mean, we had just more time to play with the idea. I think sometimes, you know, when you're making a record, you just like kind of want to get the songs done and figure out a way to put it out. Um, and with this this album, we had a lot of time to really think about, you know, how do these songs relate to one another? And that's why we, um, you know, decided to add it. And we could be, and because simply we had the time to like, let's dig in and really holistically think about that. And, and yeah, it felt, felt right. Arkell's frontman Max Kerman is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I've always wondered how musicians determine the order in which their songs appear on an album. How did you guys decide on that order? Mm-hmm. Good question. Very subjective. Um, I'd say that it's 
it's hard to, especially with five guys, to make a call on anything because everybody, <laughs> you know, has a different take on it. And we try our best to compartmentalize the jobs. And there's a lot of trust that we put in each other that if somebody's responsible for one thing or another, that people generally try to be supportive. Um, I think there's a few songs that were natural openers or your natural midway points and liberation. It always felt like the right song to open the album with. Um, you know, we always knew strong, which is a ballad would be somewhere in the middle. You can get it always felt like a second song. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, back and forth and, you know, it's like people mock up their own set list and send to the band and you listen through it and see what feels good. Sometimes, you know, your instincts are wrong and you're like, somebody sends another idea and you go, Oh, that's actually a much better idea. So, um, you know, it's hard though. You know, it's like, I wonder, you know, I, th I think it's like on one hand, it means a lot, the track list. Um, and it can really like make you feel about an album differently. And then on the other hand, you know, we're living in a streaming era where like people are listening to songs on mixtapes and stuff like that. And it means less, but I think because we're living in these songs, we always, you know, want to make, the most sort of, sorry, there's a motorcycle going by me. Um, <laughs> we want to make the most sort of thoughtful, deliberate, or most meaningful choices that that, that we can think of. And uh, so, yeah, so, so the track list process is, is kind of fun for us. Max, when you're writing the songs for this album in particular, were there certain influences or experiences that you were drawing from? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every song has a, has a different vibe. I mean, musically speaking, we're always referencing different artists, you know, Liberation. I can go through each song and go, oh, okay, Liber Liberation's Paul Simon. You can get it as Kanye West. Uh, All Roads is Phil Collins. Strong is Adele. Like, you know, you go, you go through the list. Um, and I think lyrically, you know, we've always been inspired to write about like little moments in our lives or that have happened to friends of ours or stories that we hear. And I think, I think a lot of good songwriting comes from just like, the idea of examining just a small little moment in time and being able to draw kind of broader conclusions about that small little moment. And, uh, yeah, so a lot of friends, family, uh, you know, people in our community, those always inspire us. Uh, Max Kerman is our guest. He's the front man for Arcals. They're about to embark on a uh, crisscross Canada slash North America tour coming up. Uh, you guys played in front of a live audience back in August in Toronto, uh, the first really back-to-live concert of its kind uh, during the pandemic. What was that like? It was, um, it was really surreal. Um, it was a lot of work. And we were really excited to do the work. You know, we uh, we miss playing live so much. That's so much, so much a big part of our life is going on tour and in connections with people in different cities. Um, and we also knew it was a big responsibility. You know, a lot of people have been missing concerts so much and missing a feeling of connection. Oh, sorry. There is um, a siren going by. Got a we, lot of action we, going on. Record? This is a, <laughs> you, know, you try to have a nice call on the front porch and it just gets ruined by a motorcycle. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we tried our best to, uh, you know, to, to recognize that it was a moment in time that, you know, that it was hopefully a once in a lifetime where it's like, this is the first time that people are coming out of the house after not being able to go to any real live entertainment for a year and a half and just what that release might mean. And, you know, normally on tour, we were able to build on top of the last show. And so it's like sort of an ongoing process. 
with this, these shows, you know, we kind of have to start from scratch. So we really have to, to sort of be able to remember all the things that we are good at and what are the moments that we think are important to highlight within the set. And um, the first, so the first couple nights were very uh, all about the work, I'd say, because we needed to remember so many things <laughs> as part of the production. But then by night three, we, we kind of got to kick back and enjoy ourselves. And, and that was awesome. I mentioned earlier, Arkells have won seven Juno Awards, including the 2021 Juno Award for Group of the Year. What does that mean to you and the band? Is that is that validation? Yeah, I mean, on, on one hand, you know, you don't play music to, to win awards. You know, it's, like, it's not like a, a sports team where you're where you're constantly, like, you know, trying to win the championship trophy or whatever. But on the other hand, it's uh, it's just nice to be recognized in your line of work, no matter what your line of work is. So, like whether you're an accountant or a radio show host or you know, like or an, or a plumber, like whatever your your peer group is, it, it's nice for somebody to go, "Hey, you're doing a good job." <laughs> uh, and so that's the way we kind of think about it. Like, oh, it's nice that people in our community kind of see the work that we put in and and how hard we try and 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 celebrate that so that that's cool but again it's like not 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 the thing that gets us up in the morning but at the end of a, a year of working it's, it's nice to be you know, getting a little nod you mentioned a sports team uh you've written about the tie cats you're you're you know the band is i think synonymous with hamilton uh and uh you know the, the tie cats you played at tim Hortons field have you been keeping tabs on the tabbies yeah they're looking good i mean a lot of optimism in the air I know the other night didn't turn out, but um, yeah, I, I know how much the, the team means to the city. It's so exciting that they're hosting the Grey Cup. That's a, that's a, such a you know Tim Hortons Field is, is such an exceptional facility, and we know the folks that that run the team, and you know they work so hard in the community, you know, to represent Hamilton and you know to bring fun and entertainment to the city. Um, yeah, so you were, we're happy we can kind of play a small role in what they do by, you know, by collaborating with the team and by playing shows at Tim Hortons Field, like all that's wicked. Can we expect our Kells to play at the Great Cup? I don't know. You're going to have to ask them. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd love to see you there. That's for sure. Max, really appreciate the time. Uh, Congrats on this great album, Blink Once. Download it uh, wherever you download your favorite music. Go see their shows. I know you're not coming to Hamilton, but you'll be in and around this city for sure uh, playing uh, on your uh, Cross Canada Blink Once tour. Thanks for joining us, Max, and uh, all the best. Yeah, well, we're playing uh, Tim Hortons Field uh you know, June 25, 2022. So next summer. So we, we got that one on the book. Excellent. We will see you then. Thanks a lot for the time. All right. Thanks. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The NHL's 2021-22 season began last night as the Tampa Bay Lightning raised its Stanley Cup banner. Second straight year doing so. And then they lost to Pittsburgh. Vegas also topped the expansion Seattle Kraken last night. A lot more games on tap tonight, including Maple Leafs and Canadians. The last time they met was in the spring when the Habs rallied from a 3-1 series deficit to oust the Maple Leafs in round one. Can Toronto finally get over the hump? A lot of great storylines in the NHL this season. Let's chew on them with our next guest. Stephen Ellis is the web editor for the Hockey News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? Good. Yourself? 
Very good. It's nice to be back watching hockey again. Finally, there are so many amazing storylines heading into the season. Maybe first and foremost, a team has not been able to three-peat since the Islanders in the early 80s. Can Tampa Bay do it? Statistically, obviously, the odds are not very high uh, because like, when you're looking before Tampa Bay, the last team to even do uh, back-to-back for Pittsburgh, and before that, no one else had done that in the uh, salary cap era. But the way I'm looking at it, I, I think that uh, Tampa's, yeah, they're missing a couple of their key players um, from the last year's team, but they still just got so much depth here. This is a lineup that doesn't look worse than it did year ago or even two years ago and if you're getting Kucherov for the full season you got Victor Hedman and you got Stamkos and you got your full core back I think this team's got a really good shot they are in my opinion the pick to win and I never pick teams to go back to back because of how rare it is but to, to do a three-peat I actually do think Tampa could do it they just got the talent and yeah they, they may have lost some good depth guys some good middle six players but they still got the same core that that brought them to the cup the last two years yeah well coached team with john cooper behind the bench andre vasilevsky uh, perennial vesna trophy winner uh, in net uh, they're a solid team top to bottom they're in a tough division but uh, hey a lot of teams are as well including the maple leafs uh, they're in that same division with tampa and boston and montreal and uh, you know up-and-coming teams like ottawa they still have buffalo in the division so that helps but well the maple leafs Finally win a playoff series. I know we're months away from that, but can this be the year, please? I To win a playoff series, again, like we just defeated, if we look at the odds of the last couple of years, it'll be tough. I think the good thing for them, though, is they're going to be facing a bit of adversity. To start the season, they're going to be missing Matthews. They're going to be missing Mikhail for a while. They're, the, the team is not going to be as strong as it can be to start the year, which means, like, when you look at the last couple of years, they kind of just fly through the regular season, and there's nothing really of a challenge until they get to the playoffs, and then everything changes. I think the good news for them is they're better than Boston this year, so they'd probably be the higher seed if those two teams meet, but we just know kind of, like, Toronto, it's just... I don't even know how to explain it because it doesn't matter who the coach is or who the GM is or who the goalie is or who the star player is. They just Every time they find some more creative way to lose. So it's it's. I don't believe in this team this year. I, I honestly don't, and not because of last year. It's just you look at the team, and I don't love the goaltending. I know Morazic and Campbell could both be good goaltenders, but I, I'm not convinced these are the guys that are worthy of taking this team far in the playoffs compared to some other units out there. So uh, are they going to win a playoff series? I'm I'm still going to go with no. I just don't think this team is ready enough. Um, they're, they're a good regular season team, but we we just know it just seems to get to their heads when it matters a lot. You're killing me, killing me softly. Uh, the Seattle Kraken uh, began their um, uh, played their first game last night, beginning their existence in the NHL. What are the expectations in the uh, Northwest? If I was running Seattle, I'd want them to come. Uh, Last, I would want them to be worse than Buffalo and Arizona because I want a shot at Shane Wright at the number one overall pick. Um, for, for Seattle, this is a team where I don't think people will, um, obviously there was not a lot of expectations for Vegas heading into the season, but now that we've seen Vegas and we've learned from there, I'm not convinced this is a better team. They've definitely got a good goalie in Phil Grubauer and they've got some other good players there, but I, I, I think this team will definitely have a shot to make the playoffs. I don't think anything more than that. And I know we probably should learn a lesson from what we saw last time uh, with the, the Golden Knights, but I, I just, I also think other teams learned their lessons and they didn't kind of surrender all their top talent. So uh, I'm not a huge fan of this Kraken team. If they make the playoffs, that's a huge, uh, a huge step here. But I think they got to focus on on the future, and in this case, it's the draft. I think there's also less pressure on them if they do that because Vegas, like that, that was a 
That's a huge blueprint to follow, making the Stanley Cup final in your first season. If they don't do that, then and, and they don't focus on being as good and they focus on the future, I think they're in a better spot. So just just to see kind of where they take this team. You mentioned Shane Wright, uh, the Burlington native starring for the Kins- Kingston Frontenacs. He'll be the captain, I'm sure, of uh, Canada's World Junior Team come December. And yeah, he will be undoubtedly, in my mind, the number one pick uh, come next summer's draft in Montreal. Uh, we know that Alex Ovechkin is 165 goals away from breaking Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record. That won't happen this year. It might happen towards the end of his five-year contract with Washington. Also a big story, and uh, a lot of fans in this area are keen on this because they're Sabres fans and they're wondering what is going to happen with Jack Eichel. What, what's your sense? The one thing I think with the team that a lot of people expected him to go to were the New York Rangers, but when they went out there and signed him because of Benajet, I think that's not likely anymore. Uh, so that kind of will spice things up. Obviously right now, the fact that he hasn't been traded uh, after what's just felt like the longest 12 months uh, involving any player, uh, I think is a bit surprising, but it kind of just shows you the disconnect between his camp and the Sabres. So if they trade him now, his value is nothing. And I, I think at the same time, though, like I, I'm, I'm just surprised. Like at, at this point, would Buffalo? What, what would Buffalo take if a team kind of lowballs him, or lowballs for him, just to get him out of there? Would Buffalo take it? My guess is no. They know what his value is when he's healthy, but I think that's kind of the issue there. You look at him, and the, the Sabers would definitely want to get the most value for him, but his value is just so low for a guy who hasn't played competitive hockey in forever, and just. Again, like he's got the injury issues. We don't know what his career will be like. Like, all his talk is okay, he needs to get out of Buffalo, but what if he gets the surgery, gets out of Buffalo, and he's not anywhere near the player that he was before? It's a tough situation. Obviously, they need to get him out of there. I just think maybe the suitors are kind of dwindling there as teams kind of start to move on. It's one thing when you hear about teams like, like the Rangers and the Kings and other teams out there making a run uh, during the offseason, but now that the season started and we're still in the flat cap and everything, I, I don't really know kind of what the next step is there unless Buffalo kind of just says okay you know what we'll we'll accept the loss here we'll accept that we're not going to get value and just kind of just trade him just to get him out of there I think that'd be the best bet but I also this is the NHL this is a business I don't think teams are going to do that Uh, it's one of the many great storylines entering this season Stephen always appreciate the time Absolutely. Thank you so much. Stephen Ellis, web editor for the Hockey News. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.